Welcome to Classical Roots, the show that explores what classical education has to offer. Here's your host, Lulu Silesia. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Lulu Silesia. Today on Classical Roots, I will be interviewing Dr. Daniel Copeland. Dr. Copeland received a BA in Spanish from Liberty University, a MA in Linguistics from Oakland University, and a PhD in Curriculum Teaching and Education Policy from Michigan State University. Dr. Copeland is a member of the Society for Classical Learning, Phi Kappa Phi. He received Professor of the Year from Hillsdale College in 2013. He was also the resident scholar at the C.S. Lewis Study Center in Oxford, England in 2016. In addition to the Emily Doherty Award for Teaching Excellent from Hillsdale College in 2017, he is also an advisor for the Barney Charter School Initiative and Institute uh, for Classical Education. Dr. Copeland is also the author of Well-Ordered Language, The Curious Child's Guide to Grammar. How are you today, Dr. Copeland? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so just to start us off, I have a couple get-to-know-you questions. Um, so what made you want to be a professor at Hillsdale? Well, I, you know, I grew up not knowing about Hillsdale. So, um, in fact, I didn't even know I wanted to be a, a professor or uh, pretty late in my college career when I decided to go into teaching. And then um, I kind of had an idea that I wanted to continue on in graduate school. I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do it in. Um, but I had the idea that I would work at, at at a research university, you know, somewhere doing research and teaching on the side, which is often the case at a research university. But uh, as I say, I, I didn't know about Hillsdale um, until I was already out in the professional world. I wish I would have. I probably would have, uh, you know, come here as an undergrad. Um, so there you go. And then so you teach a bunch of classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it would take a minute to list them all out. So just which one do you enjoy teaching the most? Yeah, that's a hard question because it's kind of like asking um, which of your children do you like best? And of course, we know which child we like best, but we would never admit it out loud. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so um, no, I, um, I, I have taught a wide variety of classes. I, I typically teach um, uh, two courses regularly, and, and they're kind of at, at the beginning and the end of the undergraduate experience. So the one class I teach at the beginning is you know, Education 101, which is English grammar. And in that class, it's pretty much 14-week you know, a study of the English language. And so we start with what is a sentence and get all the way up to some pretty complicated things in the English language, like an it cleft and a what cleft and the nominative absolute. So I really enjoy that. I have a background in language, so it allows me to kind of, you know, to dig in and just kind of mess around with language. Um, And then at the other end, I I teach a 400 level class uh, called Classic Children's Literature. And that's, um, you know, reading and talking about you know, some of the best, you know, children's stories that have ever been written. And um, that class, uh, I, um, I hate to admit, kind of teaches itself. When you have good material like that, um, you can pretty much just read the text and allow, you know, the story to do its work. I, I hope I can contribute something to that class, but uh, I really, really enjoy that class as well. And then how did you first become involved in the classical education movement? 
Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I went through my own K-12 experience, you know, and, you know, I, I had a wide variety of experiences growing up. I started in public education and then I ended in public education. Uh, but in between there, I, I went to, you know, three different private schools. I was homeschooled um, as well. So I had a lot of that experience, but I don't know if I would even call any of it classical. Um, went to university as an undergraduate, graduated, uh, ended up teaching in a traditional public school. You know, again, had not even really heard of, of classical education, or at least not in a way that had really, you know, captured my attention. And it wasn't until I was in graduate school, um, actually in a school of education, um, where, I, you know, I was learning about education. What does it mean to be educated? What is curriculum? What is instruction? What, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and I just found what was going on in my ed classes. Uh, again, these are graduate level classes, but was just was just so contrary to, to common sense, to what, you know, the kind of education that I had received. So while I was reading these uh, texts, um, you know, that I was required to read in my education classes, I was, uh, you know, I was stumbling upon these other books that were talking about education that were not included in my ed classes, and they were the ones that really captured my attention. And it, and as is often the case, um, one book leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, uh, and then I discovered, um, you know, through this journey through through texts, I discovered that there were people today um, in education who were trying to to promote, you know. Uh, an education in excellence, an education um, in ideas, um, and it, you know, education that is about more than just knowing things, but actually about you, you know shaping the human being um, in a particular ways. And I discovered that those people were called classical educators, and 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 I decided pretty soon after that that I want to be a part of that. Yes, sir. So maybe just now you can explain what classical education is and what that means a little bit more. Because um, I went to one of the Barney Charter schools, and when somebody would ask me where I went, and I said Atlanta Classical Academy, they asked me what instrument I played. So, <laughs> right, right. If right. you could just explain, like, what's the nice thing to say to somebody to help them understand? Yeah, that's a great question because even within, you know, if we were to call it a movement, um, within the movement of classical education, there are various uh, definitions about what it actually means. And so we could spend, you know, a lot of time on navel gazing here and trying to splice and dice and, uh, you know, what the term actually means. And that's really valuable to be able to have those kinds of, you know, conversations so that our practice is in line with our philosophy and our understanding of reality. All all that's important. But at some point, we need to give kind of a working definition of classical education so that we can move forward, so that people who are not, who haven't been raised um, within a classical education context, so that they know what it is we're actually talking about here. So I usually say that if you had to boil classical education down to two words, it would be wisdom and virtue. Um, and that kind of suggests uh, um, what classical education is all about, because there are a lot of forms of education that are, are all about the head, you know, in uh, the acquisition of information and in a knowledge um, or, you know, the development of skills. And all of that is important. But classical education says that what we're really about is the cultivation of wisdom. In other words, it's knowing things um, but it's also uh, um, informed, you know, by the past um, in a deep understanding um, in the way that the world works. Uh, but then also 
virtue, in other words, goodness, character. So you can know a lot of things and just be a real jerk. Uh, you yeah. know, and that's not the, the end of classical education. It's, it's the cultivation of character. It's the cultivation of the intellect. Um, it's the acquisition of wisdom. It's actually living rightly. And, and I think that's very useful when talking to people uh, about education, in particular, I think parents. Um, so if, if you're trying to make the case for um, why a child should attend a classical school, I think intrinsically parents know they want their students to know things and be able to do things, but they also want their, their children to be a particular kind of person, a good person. And so classical education, classical schools are aware of that. They're cognizant of that. They're always pursuing that and trying to present that for their students. And so then Hillsdale helps out with a bunch of classical schools around the country. Can you just quickly explain each of those? Uh, we work with a wide variety of people. We think that we have an understanding or are, you know, a growing understanding about what this kind of education would look like. And we want to help you know, people in their local communities to be able to offer this kind of education for their own children. So, you know, we work with uh, charter schools, um, um, you know, helping local communities to open up schools within a public context. So a charter school, you know, by definition is a public school. So we're going to help them be able to open up these schools, um, be able to navigate um, what it means to be a public school and what you owe you know, the citizenry um, of the state um, um, and how to, within that context, offer a quality education. We also work with communities to be able to open up private schools as well. If there is a group of people, perhaps connected with a church, perhaps connected with a community or a variety of churches coming together, if they want to open up a private school outside of the context of uh, of state requirements in terms of what a normal charter school would have to do, then we're willing to help those as well. And then in addition, you know, there are people who don't have a school close to them. They maybe live in an isolated place or maybe they're not able to offer um, um, schooling um, within a, you, you know, uh, you know, a context where people are coming together to offer a school. And so we try to help homeschoolers as well. We try to offer them, you know, a quality curriculum. Here's what a, uh, you know, quality curriculum looks like, and here's how to teach it. And so we try to try to help homeschoolers as well. Okay, so then as the advisor for, like, the Barney Charter School Initiative, what does that mean for you? Yeah, the real work um, of opening up these schools um, is, you know, is uh, coordinated through our K-12 office. You know, they're the ones who are on a daily basis working with local communities, local school leaders, teachers, administrators, even students to try to provide this kind of quality education. I am in the education department, and so my primary responsibility is working with undergraduate students and now graduate students as well, trying to get them prepared and ready to go and to work into these schools. But because the K-12 office and the education department are, are under the umbrella of Hillsdale College and we're all about common mission and purpose, um, we, we obviously work very closely together. And so my advisory role, I, I do a lot of speaking for the K-12 office. I do some traveling. I do some visitation. Um, during the summertime, we have uh, um, anywhere from four to 600 teachers on campus at the end of June. I do a lot of teacher training during you know, that time. So I'm able to speak to the leaders. I'm able to speak 
to uh, teachers to help them be able to provide a quality instruction um, within their classrooms. So how often do you guys like change the curriculum? Right. So, and this is an important question because there's a real temptation. Well, let me back up. So the curriculum is a document. It's basically a book and, and it's a program guide. So it goes K through 12. Um, and there's a lot of information in there, a lot of resources, a lot of guidance there. And there is a temptation to, to constantly be tinkering with it and constantly be changing it, you know, in slight ways and major ways. Um, um, and there's a real temptation in that. But that is actually quite a disservice to the people who are trying to teach that curriculum. Because if you're constantly te- you know, tinkering with it, they just can't keep track of it. They can't develop certain expertise and knowledge in a particular curriculum. So we try to limit our changes uh, to only those that are most important, and it's basically on a three-year cycle. So we review the curriculum, we make those changes. Um, Again, it's informed by college professors, uh, by practitioners who are working out in the school. They all speak into the process. And so when we we don't want to make changes unless we have to, uh, but we want to make sure we're getting it right. So we make those changes um, on a regular basis. Moving into how kind of classical education, like what it does for the students. The first question is, is it, would you say it's superior? I guess if you can learn how to like wisdom and virtue, like you were saying earlier, I think that's an amazing skill to have. And if cl- classical education can give that to its students, maybe it would be superior over something that doesn't. How would you answer that? Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I work in the field of, uh, I mean, of education and have worked in the field of education for almost three decades now. But, you know, um, education becomes very, very personal when you have your own children and you want the very best for your children. And, and then it is, it's not just theories, it's not just ideas, it's, uh, you know, I, I have been given, I have been gifted these children in my care, I want to be able to give them you know, the best. And, and I, I do feel that classical education is the best kind of education because it, it is concerned about whole person. It, it isn't just about making them smart or helping them to become smart nor is it just about helping them to become skilled. It's also helping them to become good. And so classical education covers all of those things. And, and those of us in classical education are trying to do, do a better job of making sure all of those things uh, are provided for the students who are, who are under our care. Awesome. And then again, I think you kind of um, answered this question a little bit, but how does classical education equip its students for like real life or mm-hmm. the real world or just like once you're out of the K through 12 or even college mm-hmm. period of your life, what's classical education going to do for them? So as I said, you know, a quality classical education is going to provide knowledge, which is really important. And, and it is a, you know, a knowledge based curriculum. But as I've hinted at, it's so much more than that. In fact, I often tell people uh, um, a quality education uh, usually addresses uh, the three H's, the head, the heart, and the hands. And, and the head is kind of the intellect, the wisdom I was talking about. The heart is character. But the hands could be taken in actually two different ways. One is, is that it could be taken in terms of a heart of service. In other words, the product of having a good character is you want to serve your fellow man. But it also could be those skills as well. 
um, you know, being able to do very practical things like operate a Bunsen burner, be able, you know, to draw a straight line, you know, those kinds of things. But it's also skills in another way in that classical education has always been about the cultivation of the ability to learn as well. And so to answer your question, um, one thing that I've discovered is that people coming out of classical schools, they know things, right? They're a certain kind of person, but then they're also, they have this amazing capacity to continue to learn. You know, I think that's one of the greatest things um, that comes out of being actually classically educated. Yeah, that reminds me of what C.S. Lewis talks about in The Abolition of Man, like mm -hmm. the mind, the heart, and the stomach, and how the yeah. stomach can control the other two if you don't have like a strong mind and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, so then now that we've talked about how great classical education is, what would you say is kind of, I guess, prohibiting mm -hmm. it from getting to more students? Is it just like outreach? Yeah. I think there are, are a wide variety of things. Um, in fact, you might have even hinted at one uh, on just kind of a basic, you know, kind of a surface level it is the word classical itself. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes um, when you hear the word classical, you often think of classical music. And and I think I think many people hear classical music and, and they don't quite understand it. They recognize it's very complex, but they're, you know, it's not for me, it's almost kind of an elitist thing. And I, I think there's a little bit of a carryover there with, uh, with classical education, almost like, uh, almost as if uh, classical means elite education mm -hmm. and elitist. And, and, and uh, people, you know, might see that and say, well, you, you know, that's for a certain kind of person, but that's not for me. You know, I mean, a person struggles at school or something like that, and I could never do that kind of a thing. But I would argue, um, at, as Mortimer J. Adler did, that you know, the best education for some is the best education for all. And so I, I don't think classical education is elitist. I just think it's good education. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing that's a little bit more about the movement as a whole is I would argue the greatest impediment to this expanding is the lack of leadership. To the credit of the administration of the college here, um, um, they have recognized that, that, that we're only going to be able to offer this kind of education to a wide group of people if we have people who will lead um, yeah. in these schools. And, and when I say lead, I don't necessarily just mean administrators, headmasters and assistant headmasters. I mean in lead in every capacity. Um, and, it, and it could be administration, but it could be curriculum director. It could be, you know, a dean of students. It could be, you know, a, a lead teacher in the lower grades. You know, but it could also be people um, who just want to lead in, in their community. Maybe they're not even doing, you know, the teaching on a daily basis, but they're on a local school board or they're on the school board for the school um, and they're helping to govern that school in a very wise way. So, so my number one concern is leadership. And I think classical education would expand much more quickly across the country because you can tell people, especially parents and grandparents, they're hungry for it. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're going to do it, we're, we're going to do it well. And in order to do it well, we have to have great leaders. So with that, I guess we can quickly talk about um, – the new graduate program that Hillsdale started. Can you just explain that, what that aims at doing? So at Hillsdale College, we do not have an undergraduate major in education. Anyone who, who goes into teaching from Hillsdale College, we want our students to have you know, a solid background um, in a particular field of study. Now, we do offer um, a classical ed minor with uh, uh, 
um, a small group of courses which students could take um, in any order you know, they would like. Um, there are no prerequisites to these courses. But at the same time, again, going back to the idea of leadership, um, in order to, to provide um, leadership in classical education, we recognize that we would need to provide further study beyond the, uh, the undergraduate level. So uh, the Master of Arts in Classical Education program has been in the works for many years now. We have taken our time you know, to build it and to lay it out slowly and uh, to make sure you know, that it was pursuing excellence the entire time. So it is a two-year residential program. Um, it's uh, 36 credit hours. Um, students uh, come into the program in the fall of the year. In that first year, they take all of their classes together. In the second year, they have one required class, and then the rest of the courses are electives. And so they could choose to concentrate on administration. They could choose to concentrate on curriculum and instruction. They could choose to concentrate uh, on just taking courses um, in the classical liberal arts. So um, it's an exciting program. Um, we welcomed our first cohort in, um, at the end of August. It's 11 students. Um, who are in the program and uh, they're doing really great and having a good time and learning a lot of things. So. Great. Well, I guess on that note, um, we can wrap up here. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot um, and I hope the listeners did too.